Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? And we like to also uh, let you know that there is a special introductory offer, uh, lower-priced trial offer. You can call Claudio Bossi to find out more about that at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Uh, or you can go to the website miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Or you can go to J Taylor Media, that's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R, media.com to access those newsletters, as well as this radio show and a host of other things that yours truly is involved with. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Manganese, Avino Silver and Gold Mines, Prophecy Platinum, and Millrock Resources. As we almost always do, this week we will talk about the financial markets, including the markets for real money, that is gold and silver, but we are also going to talk about some topics that are not so frequently discussed on this show, namely global warming and the impact of heavenly bodies on markets and other earthly events. In the second hour of today's show, we will talk about the mining industry with an emphasis on precious metals mining, but we will also talk about specific stocks in the mining sector. Uh, to start today's show, I'm going to ask Justin, my engineer, to play a clip of an interview that CNBC did with Ron Paul. Justin, can you play that clip uh, with Ron Paul now? All right, and we have got a very special guest joining us this morning by phone with reaction to the jobs report. Here now in a first on CNBC interview, Texas Congressman and Republican presidential candidate, 
Ron Paul. Representative Paul, it's Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us. With this jobs number and the revision to January, do you feel there is zero chance, I know there would be zero chance if you were in charge anyway, but zero chance of quantitative easing three from your friends at the Fed? Uh, there'll be plenty of that. You know, when you keep interest rates at zero percent, essentially, isn't that a bit of quantitative easing? I mean, they have to continue. It's the, it's the policy that has not changed and is not likely to change. And the whole whole concept is wrong. There's a lot of credit out there, but it's being allocated by Congress and the Federal Reserve, and it completely distorts the market when you have when you should be getting capital from savings and allocation of credit from the private sector. So this this is not going to save the economy. This is a temporary reprieve. But I think we're going to continue on this course of uh, structural unemployment. We we essentially haven't created any jobs. Since so you're not, C Congressman, you are not encouraged at all by the revision to January and 227,000 jobs created in February. Ah, sure, uh, a little bit. But I see these. I see these as blips. You know, Wall Street got excited, and they're excited right now because the stock market's back up to 13,000. Well, in April of 07, it was 13,000, and it would have to be at 14,300 to break even. So Wall Street does fine in trading, but what about the person who wants to save and take care of their future? There's no incentive there. There is no so, incentive. Do you so see is, the Federal Reserve? This is not real. we got to be realistic. Congressman, do you see the Federal Reserve then tightening, maybe throwing a little bit of a you know 50 basis point bone to some of the savers out there by at least trying to inflate interest rates so the savers can get at least a little something for their no, money? Is there any no, chance no way. Happening? I've asked both Greenspan and Bernanke this question constantly. Why do you make the elderly suffer when they want to save and they want to be frugal? They say, well, that's the price they have to pay. We have to deal with the big picture of seeing how we stimulate the financial markets. And they've, they've given me the same answer every time. They're not going to do that. That's the only thing they know is inflating, inflating the currency. And it's just further distortion. Okay, so, then. So you're uh, not yeah, in favor of QE3. I was wrong, and I, I wish this was economic growth, but I just don't believe it. Okay, you're not in favor of QE3, and there's a reason I'm, I'm sort of asking you these questions. Then I would ask you, what would you do, right? If you're not in favor of QE, we know that. You don't think the Fed is going to raise interest rates. I mean, maybe you'd do that. What would you do? Congressman Paul. I would stop all the bailouts. I would let the market set interest rates. I would get people to start saving money again. I would not let the Fed monetize debt. And all of a sudden, the Congress would have to live within their means. Uh, interest rates go up. The only way you could lower interest rates is if the Congress got out of the business of borrowing so much money. So they'd have to cut so, money. So Congressman my, my proposal is, to, is okay. to cut a trillion dollars out of the budget as a starter. So it sounds like you're in favor of ripping the Band-Aid off, and, and that sounds good on paper, but at the same time, that would probably provoke a severe market reaction. Are you saying that that market reaction is worth it down the road? I mean, that, that immediate well, term no, change would be I worth it to the is, financial market. I think you have to look at the option of continue to do what we're doing. We have a bond bubble, and eventually that will collapse in the market. No matter what the Fed does, it will push interest rates up. So you want to do is save a crisis like what uh, Greece is going through. We have so a bond you bubble. Have to you have to do that, but I would say uh, keeping this on is a road to disaster. A bond bubble. Are you saying that Treasury securities, U.S. government-issued securities, are in a bubble right now? Oh, absolutely, because they cost so much to get so little. Who would invest 
other than, uh, you know, the insiders and the bankers and the traders? Who, who would invest in a 20-year government bond or 30-year government bond? There's no value in that. So the price is way too high, just as the value of those Greek bonds were way too high, and that's why they're worthless now. Nobody wants them, and nobody wants to let them default. You have to, let the, you have to liquidate the debt, and you've got to get rid of the debt if you ever want economic growth again. Congressman, it's always refreshing to speak to you because you bring to the table a point of view that we don't often hear from people. And that is what a lot of people are saying about what your legacy to this uh, race for the Republican nomination is. And that is the palling of, of the debate, the, the, what you bring and what you demand of the other candidates. A lot of people are already writing you off. And I know that you have vowed to stay in the race, at least for now. But what would be your greatest legacy? What is the issue that you would most like to look back on and say, you know what, I had an impact on the Republican nominee on this issue? Well, I think the the main thing is change the course of where we've been going for, you know, especially the last 40 years, maybe 100 years, and say that freedom is the issue, not big government. And that's what has to happen. That's what my campaign is all about. But the next generation, I win all the elections of the people between 18 and 30 because they know what they're getting. They're getting a bad deal. They know about it. They know about the Fed. They're sick and tired of the wars. And uh, they're, they're just tired of it all. And they don't like the intrusion on their personal liberty. Right. So it's the reinstitutionalizing the love of liberty that we need. And uh, that is why we get uh, the support we do. And you've always uh, appealed to the youth voter, but more recently, and I'm thinking of Super Tuesday, it doesn't appear to be the case that you've actually drawn those people in. According to a, a tough uh, study that was released this week, the Circle Study, in five Super Tuesday states, you attracted no more of the youth vote than Rick Santorum. What is happening to your base? I know your advisors have been out and publicly saying that, you know, the the out that you see in the rallies, the support that you see among the youth vote is not translating at the polls. Uh-huh. Well, you have to read all the stories about how they count the votes, too, to be fair, because there's, there's a lot of things going on. We can put 4,000 people yeah. in a precinct and come up with 2,000 votes, and we, we actually know where our votes are. So we have a lot of things to contend with, not only the philosophy and the, and the challenge to the status quo, but we also have to challenge the system that can't bear the thought that we would get a lot of credit for what we're doing. Well, Congressman Paul, listen, it's been a very serious interview. I, I do want to leave you with this, and maybe a little bit of good news on a Friday, Melissa. I don't know if okay. you read this, Congressman. There's a giant asteroid headed our way. Seriously, 2040, it could be here. So all this stuff, we may not have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, there, there, there you go. I don't worry about tomorrow. You know, uh, tomorrow will take care of itself. But if we continue to do what we're doing, we better worry about the asteroid. <laughs> Fair enough, Congressman Paul. Thank you. A little, try to get a little levity yeah. in there. But it is true about this asteroid, Melissa. I, I am I already know, making preparations. I, have, I hope to have my own A&E show at some week, point. This week, what do you feel, the Bunker in, Boys or Bunker Builders? I don't, I don't watch that. I only watch NBC networks. Uh, anyway, but this week it's been fascinating in terms of all of these events. You know, we had a full moon, the solar flare, yeah. and now you're talking about this asteroid. I'm just saying. Is, like, you know what I mean? I, like, yeah. I had hair coming out of the tops of my uh, hands last night, basically. Anyway, Rob Paul, 20-year bond bubble. What do you Still think about there. that? You're a saver. <laughs> you're a saver. Getting nothing for your money. That's true. He wants to help you. Yes. He's on Team Lee. I know, but I I think for a lot of people out there, ripping the Band-Aid off is terrifying. Because the Band-Aid is about a mile wide. Right, exactly. And we don't know what's going to come out.
Uh, Ron, uh, Congressman Ron Paul was, of course, speaking of a political and economic asteroid. He didn't say whether he thinks an economic, uh, whether that's going to hit us in 2040, although knowing Ron, I think he, he probably believes we're in trouble before that. And another person who believes that we've got some major concerns to, uh, to look at from a, uh, from a heavenly body perspective is Arch Crawford. Arch is going to be with us right after the break. Uh, we're going to go to break in just a second here. Uh, later on, then Bob Hoy will be with us to talk to us about what he thinks is a scam called global warming. Uh, and then later in the day, the second hour of today's show, we'll be talking to Mickey Fulp, geologist uh, Brent Cook and geologist Mickey Fulp, who will give us some more definite ideas about how to invest our money uh, in this environment. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Arch Crawford. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper Property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have with me once again Archie Crawford, 
Arch Crawford uh, provides a very unique view of the world, namely from a planetary uh, a planetary perspective. Uh, to save time, we won't uh, we won't read Archie's bio. He's been on this show a number of times, and you can uh, check out Archie's work and his bio. Well, his bio at least on our website uh, at the um, Voice America Business Channel website. Uh, but you can also check out Archie's work at CrawfordPerspectives.com, CrawfordPerspectives.com, and you can sign up for his very excellent service there as well. Uh, welcome, Arch. It's good to have you back. Thank you. One mention of the website. Not much is updated on it, but if you go below uh, my picture, there is a uh, speaker icon, and it is a, uh, an interview that's updated every two weeks that, Cost nothing to go to see. Oh, excellent. Okay. And then yeah. below that is uh, the, um, five, every five minutes updates the uh, electromagnetic conditions and the electrons and the X-rays and the protons coming from the sun hmm. uh, measured by satellite, the geosynchronous satellite. So that's updated every five minutes from NOAA. Wow. It's on okay. my website also. I- Oh, thanks for telling us that. I, w- I wasn't even aware of that, Archie, and I, I guess I didn't check out your work uh, closely enough, or at least your your website closely enough. Well, you heard uh, Brian Sullivan, I believe, on CNBC talk about an impending asteroid to hit the Earth in 2040. Now, it's uh, you know 2040 sounds like a long ways off, but uh, time keeps ticking away, and we're at 2012, so it's not all that far. Many people in this uh, listening audience will be around in 2040, I suppose. Uh, but I believe, in speaking with you before we came on this show, that there are some other issues, some other impending, uh, potential impending problems that you see from your observation of the planets. Would you care to talk about those? There are a couple of the, the leading sure. ones, perhaps? In the first place, I would say that um, this is 2012, and enough people know about the Mayan uh, calendar work that uh, they now have an advertisement on CNBC saying, well, if you believe in the Mayan calendar, then the uh, Earth is going to reverse something and throw us all into space, and you won't have to worry about your uh, retirement. But if you wake <laughs> up the next morning and the sun is shining, uh, you, you may use us for uh, figuring out what to do with your retirement funds. <laughs> so enough people know about that. Well, the the Mayan calendar date is December 21st, 2012, and it's supposedly the end of a 26,000-year uh, cycle. And um, that would be akin to what the uh, um, other people call the grand super cycle top on the, uh, um, and the Fibonacci ratios and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, that is... Uh, coming up the end of this year, which is also coincident with the sunspot um, 11-year peak or 22-year peak. It usually tends to be greater. And this one, I think, is the 22-year peak, and it's late this year or early next year in that same time frame. And we've already had <clears throat> these, uh, in the last few days, super uh, blasts from the sun which have not been terribly destructive yet, but they have been uh, bigger than usual, larger sunspots forming on the sun. And uh, we expect that to uh, have an effect 
uh, as we go along. Of course, if, if we get a direct hit from the sunspots, it could fry our electric grid and put us back into the Middle Ages. But I don't know that that's going to happen. We are not predicting that as a potential. But <clears throat> there is a... Uh, the best thing that's happening this year is actually tomorrow morning, Wednesday, the 14th of March. And uh, some people have heard of the Bradley model. It's the sum of all planetary alignments with each other in terms of the positive ones for the market minus the negative ones for the market, usually. Uh, and uh, that peaks for the year tomorrow, mm. tomorrow morning, and it goes down the rest of the year, even into December. Um, so I had, I had been saying that this could be the high for the year, or it may not, uh, or we may get just a drop after this in the next two or three weeks and a rally back up into the normal seasonal high in late April, early May, mm -hmm. which could be a lower high or a slightly higher high. Uh, but from there, things get very ugly with the solar eclipse of May the 20th, which is the highest tidal force of this year and is likely to touch off major earthquakes. And uh, that eclipse starts on the coast of China and mm -hmm. goes up the coast, switching over to the coast of Japan, where we have already had so many terrible earthquakes. Mm. Then coming over, it's exact around the international dateline, and then it comes back down over northern California and ends in Texas. But that's an important uh, earthquake signature, and it's also an important Mayan date, probably the second most important this year. Wow. So I'm looking for May 20th sounds... as possible earthquakes, and it could definitely affect uh, people, particularly if... If Japan were to sink, I think that would hurt world markets for a while. Well, I think uh, Japan's problems uh, that they had, you know, in in, in the past, uh, recent past here, have hurt markets a lot. Yes, and but, that was when the day that Uranus went into Aries and hit the formerly formed uh, Cardinal Cross. Oh, is that right? Yes. And this is uh, something that you had been talking about, the, the Cardinal Cross on this show yes. some time ago. So what you're saying is that there there actually was a, an interaction there then. Oh, well, it, at the time of the Cardinal Cross, we did not see much happening in the stock market. Mm -hmm. But there were um, 20 million people thrown out of their homes by flooding in Pakistan and China. And then when the eclipses uh, of December hit that same area, there were 22 towns in Australia underwater. Hmm. Uh, and then when Uranus hit the point, half of Japan was underwater. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening to this, Arch, and they think, uh, you know, they don't really believe there's any connection. And, and you yourself sort of laughed when you talked about this 26,000-year cycle and a reversal of the polar uh, of, of the of, of the fields, right? right. So, I don't know if there'll be a, a reversal or the field. It's certainly probably it is highly likely that it's uh, not the end of the world. But uh, I do expect. Uh, I have a, a great respect for Mayan calendar dates because the first one I ever heard of was the Harmonic Convergence in 1987. And uh, they had the wrong date. I was looking at it uh, in where the planets were, and 
I was looking one day at a time into the future, and I said, "Here, oh, here, seven days later is the tightest five-body conjunction uh, in at least 800 years that I checked." Hmm. And I wrote in my newsletter, "This market will peak on October uh, on August the 24th, 1987." Uh, plus or minus three days, after which we will have a horrendous crash. And if you look back, the high close on the Dow Jones was August the 24th, and then we dropped down to the solar eclipse on the fall equinox, hmm. uh, rose up till the uh, lunar eclipse, and the lunar eclipse, we had a big earthquake in Southern California, the largest in seven years, that started to slide into the... Uh, the crash date of uh, 19 October. Well, that's incredible. So I'm, I have a little respect for uh, the Mayan calendar dates and the particularly the real astronomic relationships around it, which they don't. The people who write about that are not all aware of the uh, planetary alignments at those times. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, Arch, you're talking about some of these uh, some of these potentials, uh, earthquakes and the like. Um, so what are you telling your, and also I note this, this uh, Bradley date here, which is uh, tomorrow, right? Yes. What are you telling your subscribers then in terms of you know, how they should invest? Uh-huh. Uh, on the astronomic aspects that cause the Bradley high combined to form a grand trine, which consists of planets at three corners of a triangle in the sky. Venus and Jupiter join together a bullish outlook even when taken alone, and they trine 120-degree angle to Pluto, and all these trine Mars at the third angle. There is likely to be a good news item that makes a large majority feel euphoric. Hmm. We would expect markets to spike up into March 12 to 14. It looks like it's spiking right now. Mm -hmm. The S&Ps are up 20 and a half now. Yeah, and I see the Dow, the, the NASDAQ is up 46, and uh, the Dow is up big today, too. So to you're, you're thinking this is the spike. After which the upside momentum is exhausted. Mm -hmm. See chart page 3. From there, the market could start down immediately, or it could maintain that general area until the normal seasonal peak in late April or early May, is the way we said it in the newsletter. Mm -hmm. But we are, in the newsletter, we said uh, to buy long on uh, the morning of... Uh, I think Feb 21, actually we said the 20th, which was a holiday, so open on the 21st, we, mm -hmm. we went long, and we said get out and go short on the open of the market March the 14th, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right. Well, there's a fair warning for our listeners, I suppose, to the extent people want to heed your, your advice and your, your concerns. Archie, how does this play out then in terms of precious metals, which is a, a topic, of course, we talk a lot about on this show. How do you see the precious metals now, gold and silver? Well, um, I was saying that uh, looking at the uh, chart, the um, HUI is beginning to look like a multiple head and shoulders top, and mm. I'm a little concerned about that. The gold itself uh, weekly chart is not looking bad. Um, it's maintaining the acceleration phase until it breaks below the 50-week moving average mm -hmm. and then maybe the 50-day moving average. Um, I think it, it went down through the 50 and the 200 the other day, and uh, I think they are holding generally in that area. Make, let me take a quick look at that. Yes, 
Uh, right now, it's right on the 200-day moving average. Wow. So I would say it should be bought on the 200-day moving average right now. Mm-hmm. And if it breaks 1650 or 1640, then I would get out and go short mm-hmm. uh, because that's a technical support. And it, if it holds fine and dandy, if it does not hold, then we could be in more trouble. Oh, very interesting, Arch. So, as I take it, then, you're very bearish uh, on the gold shares at the moment, eh? Well, I'm just looking at the chart. I'm still mm-hmm. uh, have my IRA in the gold and silver share index. Yeah, me too. And they haven't been doing nearly as well as the gold. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. um, I am concerned about it, I have to say, yeah. from looking at this chart right here, right now. Yeah. Um, but the... And the uh, gold is on this uh, critical point right now, which it, it, it should hold in order to be very, very positive. Uh, but if it does dip down as low as 1550 or 15, under 1550 even, you could have a triple bottom here. Mm-hmm. The really strong support is around 1525. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if that breaks, then, uh, then the intermediate and longer-term trends will be in doubt. Now, I believe... You know, there are so many countries that are still under uh, invested mm-hmm. in the metal in their central banks. Mm-hmm. That I said in the last letter that I thought it was a uh, a Chinese put or mm-hmm. a, a, a an Asi- Asiatic put. Mm-hmm. That uh, the gold will not go down as long as there's nations trying to add to their positions. Okay. Archie, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, so much more to talk to you about, so many more questions. We'll have to have you on again sometime very soon. Uh, fascinating fine. stuff, I think timely stuff, perhaps, as we uh, look at tomorrow's uh, sell signal for your subscribers, and uh, we'll keep an eye on these gold and precious metals markets. We're going to be talking to Bob Hoy, who's going to be here to talk today about global warming. And uh, if we get around to it, we certainly want to ask Bob Hoy about his views on some of these markets as well. Arch, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on with me. I have a piece on my website about the global warming and its cause, which is planetary. Planetary alignments are causing the global warming, and that is ending uh, late this year. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to talk to Bob Hoy, who has also given a lot of thought to it, and perhaps we'll get your thoughts on global warming sometime as well uh, in the near future uh, more. Thanks again, Arch, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Bob Hoy. Bye-bye. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property, a large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a low-cost, high-grade producer with 27 years of operating experience. 
In 2012, Avino resumed production at its historic Avino property and plans to be a multi-million ounce silver producer in three years. Avino is debt-free, well-funded, and has Sprott as its largest shareholder. Avino recently listed on the NYSE Amex Exchange, trading as ASM. Visit Avino online at www.avino.com. That's A-V-I-N-O dot com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Bob Hoy. Bob's academic career involved training in geophysics but I guess he wasn't terribly happy about living in the frigid Arctic Circle with the polar bears and <laughs> sort of liked the environments of Vancouver much more. So as a, as a still fairly young man, he started to investigate the markets and became uh, an analyst, I think a real good one, a, a top one actually, and, but very unique in that he is also an historian, has looked back at, at history of markets and behavior, and I think as well as anybody I know, uh, is able to to extrapolate the past into the future and make good market predictions or at least have a good sense of the probabilities of directions of markets and he is a, a humble observer of the markets he he knows he doesn't know it all and uh, i think that's what makes him one of the things that make him very very good his newsletter called institutional advisors is is a very very good uh, service uh so bob we're really happy to have you with us once again welcome back yeah jay good to be with you Really good to have you. Now, what I want you to talk about today is global warming because I came across uh, something you had written back in 2009, April 8th to be exact, and I guess this was a follow-up to an earlier piece you had written. Um, So this global warming thing, of course, is something that we hear all the time, and it seems to come more from the political left than than the right. Would you say that's true? Oh, it's very true. Uh, You just, uh, like all of these things, you follow the money. What's they they identify a problem, and then the cure is more regulation and more government, mm-hmm. and that tells you what it's all about. It was sort of came into, really came to life in the 1990s as socialism and communism and the fully planned economy in Eastern Europe was seen to collapse. So, the those that were promoting uh, socialism for the good of everybody then moved over into the environmental movement and then latched on to global warming. And it's become very dangerous um, to skeptics. They've been labeled as deniers. Uh, Mm -hmm. But let's go back and look at the big history here. The last time it was highly dangerous to be skeptical about uh, a a, uh, orthodox point of view was with uh, Galileo in the early 1600s. And... Mm -hmm. He, of course, contributed hugely to the understanding of the solar system and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But at that time, the Vatican considered not only was Rome the center of the world, but the Earth 
was the center of creation and that uh, the solar system rotated around the Earth. Uh, mm -hmm. And Galileo, uh, of course, had proof that that was not the case. And, but you had a huge apparatus within the Vatican that was calculating phenomenal uh, orbital mechanics that were just un, 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 impossible. Mm -hmm. And uh, Galileo said, no, the Earth is uh, not the center, but the sun is the center of our particular neighborhood of the solar system. So he was at risk for his life. Uh, then you went along, and there's been nothing... Uh, Oh, uh, as as serious uh, to threat to one's career in science until uh, the last uh, 30 years, when you then had an establishment view, and that that view was that the establishment needed more money and more regulations to, shall we say, cure the health of the planet, which is absolute nonsense. But there are times in the past when you have had this. I called it, I guess, an essay in January '08, um, intellectual hysteria. When if you've got a period, a boom period, and rising prices for, say, 20 years or so, then for some reason or other, intellectuals go crazy. Um, in the 1860s was a good example: uh, rampant price inflation, and the senior economist in England who did actually some pretty good work. Stanley Jevons, he had a personal revelation that the world was a sure coal prices were high, and it was the main source of energy. And he then sat down and, with very elaborate calculations, proved that the world, the uh, civilized world, was about to run out of coal. And uh, he said that the civilization in the Western world would fall back to a subsistence level; things would be awful. And uh, that he also, which was interesting, said that it it took a certain kind of intellect to understand that the world was going to run out of coal, mm. and it was almost a religious experience. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> this is the whole point. In the last twenty years, you've had this that uh, heating uh, is is a danger. When all through man's history. Warming climate has been beneficial, and the ice ages have been harmful. So okay. uh, they 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 just it's it's a revelation, it's, and it's now become a religion. Yeah, and well, Bob, you let me just ask you, um, cousins over the dinner table. Bob, l let me just ask you. It, it seems like it's sort of an elitist thing. Then you have to be. I mean, they've painted people who are not in agreement with the global warming theme as being Neanderthal men, right? Oh yeah. How did oh, that come true. about? I, I've been on the wrong side of a table on this one many times, and all I simply say is I uh, took a degree in geophysics a long time ago before many scientists found that they could be corrupted by government grants and money mm -hmm. to come out and sit with extravagant claims. But listen, let's just take a look at the evidence. In the last 30 years, there's been a wonderful database built up on a proxy for uh, mean global temperature of the Earth going back, say, three or 400,000 years. They've also been able to capture out the amount of, uh, of um, CO2 in the air at the time. And then uh, if you take this uh, hundreds of thousands of years of evidence mm -hmm. and take it and put it in thousand-year spans, then you'll see that there's no real close correlation between the uh, 
CO2 and temperature. Uh, but if anything, uh, there's a lead where the temperature goes up and CO2 follows later mm-hmm. on by mm-hmm. maybe four or 500 years. So mm-hmm. perhaps the rise in CO2 over the last couple hundred years is maybe following up that uh, little ice age uh, that uh, was bitterly cold in the 1680s. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you want to go even further on this. I mean, the the models that they use, these climate models, are one-dimensional. They mm-hmm. only include one influence that forces, and that's CO2, and that's in 380 parts per million or less than 0.04% of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, and then they use the... Um, a record going back to the 1800s from taken at Mauna Loa in Hawaii, and when actually scientists in Northern Europe and in uh, in England have been uh, determining the composition of the atmosphere since the early 1800s, and recently there was a, a group sat down and put together all of the papers that were written that were valid on what percentage of CO2 was in the atmosphere as I said, going all the way back to the early 1800s, well, guess what? There's three highs at around 380 parts per million. And what you had with the, with the politically ambitious is when socialism was seen to fail, they've got this urge to run people's lives, so they found that they could go to work on this global warming. So I know that the greenhouse effect has been pitched uh, as a threat uh, mm-hmm. for 30 years at least. Mm-hmm. And those of us who were, ta- had, were in earth sciences, sciences would say, now what are these guys going on about? It's yeah. been warming for 12,000 years. So, but these group, this, this group had just seen uh, rising temperatures since the mid-1800s and said, oh, it's due to the evil industrialization and the modern culture, and we, we don't like it. Mm-hmm. And then they saw so much indifference from Earth scientists uh, about saying, what are you going on about, that then they switched it into climate change. And then, of course, now every change in the climate is, is due. But underneath it, it's the strong conviction of, of warming. So there's, in this case, I'm, I, the basis of science has always been skepticism. You question the work of, of, of the people who preceded you. Right. You, you look for new data, you look for change and all that sort of stuff, and uh, so it denies skepticism. So the real deniers are, are the global warming people, but they've run into a problem here in the last decade. Uh, there hasn't been much warming. It's sort of flattened off and maybe a slight decline, and uh, that is related to the fact that preceding that in the 60s, you had uh, the warmest sun. So this gets us back to the point that they used one item in their modeling, CO2, and right. it turns out one? to be okay. Uh, okay. not at all effective. Okay. But then okay. you've got other items, is the amount of heat that comes from the sun. That's been discovered to vary. And that was the main exploration explanation for the extreme cold of the Little Ice Age in the late 1600s when the Thames River uh, above London Bridge froze over solid. So then uh, you've got uh, the warming since then, 
and uh, that was associated with what's called the Maunder minimum in solar activity that independent of a temperature reading, it had already been written up. A guy by the name of Sporer wrote it up that there really was a legitimate minimum in solar activity at that time. Mm-hmm. So then you had an increase in solar activity. You've got the usual 11-year cycle on it, but each high was getting higher than the previous high and each low higher than the previous low till the, uh, till the 1960s, 1970s when it was putting out, as uh, the researchers at the University of Zurich said, it's been the hottest sun in a thousand years. And guess what? You've had some of the warmer readings in a thousand years. So, and then to go back to what I heard Arch say is that it's planetary, but the solar cycle is influenced mainly by Jupiter. A uh, huge gravitational mass was thrown on, and then it changes the cosmetic, cosmic rays coming from, you know, it's a very complicated thing. Now, as I was saying, the amount of heat f- coming from the sun varies periodically. Then also, the amount of heat re- being received at the Earth's surface varies periodically. Uh, that's due to changes in the Earth's orbit uh, ch- around the sun, uh, the lengthening or shortening of summer periods, the tilt. And that was all written up by a guy in the 1920s by the name of Milankovitch, and then here's one of the exciting things, is that eventually the accumulation of data, the history back to, say, 400,000 years and plus other evidences, that indeed the major determinant of long changes in the climate are due to these uh, Milankovitch cycles. Hmm. Then you got one other thing that works on a shorter term, and that's the amount of volcanic activity. In the 1960s, that was unusually low, and then since uh, 07, that's been increasing. So you've had a couple of things that explain, to me, satisfactorily, why the trend, recent trend of warming ended, and uh, that was the amount of heat coming from the sun diminished, and you had an increase in in uh, volcanic activity, more ash up there, and aerosols screening out the heat from the sun. So there's an old saying, Jay, in physics, that if you keep your database short enough, it'll fit your model. Yeah. And uh, this is what started them on the global warming. They took a look at temperature and industrial activity since 1850 and mm-hmm. said, this is the way it works. They've now, uh, there's been a huge expansion in evidence. And also we want to go back and see previous excitements when science writers and journalists could make a lot of money by pushing a, a hysteria, and that was in the early 70s when it was going to get colder. So you had oh, one of the warmest decade, uh, 25-year spans in, in hundreds and hundreds of years uh, in the 1930s and 40s. Then it cooled down to the early 70s, and then that was when Gribben and various other people were publishing books and articles on the fact that uh, things were going to get colder. And it did get cooler for a while, and then it warmed up. So the history of climate is one of change. Uh, We've seen ice ages. And here what we should mention, Jay, is the absolute distortion of truth, cooking of the books, that sort of stuff, because, oh, let's see, about 12 years ago, 
Livingston and Penn, they, they had written a paper, these guys were solar scientists, that the solar cycle was turning down, in which case things would get a little cooler. And they turned that, wrote a preliminary on it and floated around, and then one of the global warming people misread it and thought that these guys were part of the global warming team, or we should say a cable, mm-hmm. and wrote to Dinning, I think it was, that we have to get rid of the medieval warm period. Because it was uh, warmer then than now and warmer for longer. And uh, you can't explain that by, uh, what was there, maybe a billion or a billion and a half people back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no industrialization. Mm-hmm. So their model doesn't work. And as I say, mm-hmm. keep your database short. So then that's where Michael Mann uh, came out with his, uh, iconic uh, hockey stick chart where the stick was uh, a thousand years of flat temperatures and then the <laughs> blade sticking up was the stuff from 1800. But he he even, not only did he get rid of the medieval warm period, but he uh, got rid of the uh, little ice age in, in between. So, um, and then actually uh, Phil Jones at the CRU, Hadley, that's the university in England that has been the focal point for cranking out all of these cooked numbers, he, uh, a year or so ago, after the first ClimateGate scandal, uh, admitted that the uh, medieval warm period was warmer than now. So they finally had to uh, acknowledge. But, you know, it's like a guy promoting a stock. You get caught up in the heat of the moment, and that's what these... these, uh, so-called scientists were doing it just got caught up in this thing and it's great fun to be important and get the glory more importantly to get the funding yeah because you couldn't get any funding if you expressed doubt about the conclusions of the united nations ipcc mm-hmm. committee thing yeah and even then there were people like uh singer uh who uh is part of one of the expert uh, contributors to the ipcc but his work, which is skeptical, was always left out. The final conclusions were wi- are usually written uh, before all the work comes in, and um, so it's it's been a, an incredible fraud. And uh, it's but I think the public's beginning to see through it. Uh, one, it's not been well. Sure, you had a warm winter in the middle part of North America, but then you had, again, another exceptionally cold winter in East in Europe. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's never a straight line one way or the other. So uh, well, Bob, I, just, it's a time when ordinary people should be always skeptical about what they're hearing about uh, when it comes from a government or an excited source about global warming. Uh, it's interesting that uh, at the same time you've had this huge effort made uh, to stimulate the economy after what even the establishment said was the worst recession uh, since the Depression. And uh, I would note that the, one of the features of every post-bubble Great Depression is that the recessions are severe and the recoveries are weak, and this is what we've been getting. 
and uh, the huge stimulus is at times fostering speculation like now, uh, but then at other times it gets disappointed very quickly and goes the other way. So uh, I think it would be an interesting thesis to, to write a paper saying that the public is discovering that the great government promotion about global warming is about as sound as the notion that uh, governments can manage an economy. Uh, it's it's fascinating the way these things are coming together. And uh, But I think the main thing is that... Uh, the, there's, there's, the people are beginning to to question the authority of uh, this stuff about global warming. I think Al Gore's have been quite quiet lately, and he's, I think he's now pushing something else about the economy. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that a whole lot of these hot uh, uh, tech stocks related to warming, uh, windmill companies and uh, and solar cell companies, that area has been going broke, of course, after the Obama government uh, gave them lots of money. But you take put yourself in northern Europe this winter, exceptional cold. Uh, you have uh, an, a, a government that's determined to generate electrical power from uh, wind turbines and uh, and solar cells. So let's put ourselves in northern Europe. It's 4.30 in the afternoon in the wintertime. It's getting colder. Uh, people turn up the heat, put more lights on, and there's a, power, a, a surge in demand for power. What's happening at that time? The sun's going down. Those solar cells ain't doing nothing. And then you got the problem with uh, wind turbines where they don't blow at the perfect te- speed all the time. So... And in England now, there's a madness going on there where they're talking about spending 120 billion pounds to build wind turbines, and they could get the same amount of energy out of uh, a 15 billion pound investment in natural gas-fired plants. But the irony is, is that the the windmill people have finally realized that hey, if the wind doesn't blow, you don't get any juice. And if it blows too hard, you've got to turn them off. So then you have to have standby power with, let's say, uh, um, natural gas. But the, the wonders of economics is in natural gas, coal-fired, or a, a nuclear-fired electrical plants, is that the economies of scale are such that you run them 100% flat out all the time. So this is where you have now. England's going to put in $120 billion worth of politically correct electrical capacity that they finally admit is a variable in its output and unreliable. But they're going to spend $15 billion pounds to build gas plants that is only going to be turned on when needed. So yeah. there's no economies of scale there. It's absolute madness. And, of course, this is where you have decisions being made on political uh, whims uh, with people with incredible power. And if we go back to uh, the 1920s with uh, von Mises and Hayek of the Austrian school, they took a look at what the intense central planners were doing in socialism and communism and said that it would ultimately fail because it didn't have a means of economic calculation. They had decided they would 
removed the price from calculation, and it was all based on a huge high-powered planning, but basically uh, whimsical uh, political decisions. Well, here you have uh, the uh, a government in England on absolutely a criminally economic plan whereby they're going to spend ten times the amount of money to get power from windmills. So it's these things are not based upon economic calculation. So it's the same failure that was foreseen by the Austrian school of uh, socialism and communism. Right. And Bob, we only have a couple of minutes One perhaps. of the things that Bob? is now beginning to fascinate Bob? me is Bob. that the failure... Bob. Yellow? Yes. Can you can you quiet down for a minute? We've only got a couple of minutes left. I've been trying to get some questions in. I can't well, get I them can't, in with you. The volume. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed thoroughly your lecture, but I've not been able to interact with you because you keep talking, and I don't know if you don't hear me or what. No, I, I asked them to, the producer to put the volume up. Okay, well, we only have a couple of minutes left. I've enjoyed your, um, I've, I've enjoyed your, your lecture. I want to know, though, and I hear what you're saying. Now, you have talked about in the past that we uh, that are that we are returning or we're about to embark on a bull market in common sense what i hear you saying is that the markets are finally going to wake people up they're finally going to uh, to force common sense and a and a return to reality much as much as the markets of the 1930s did after von mises and hayek spoke uh, are, are there any people out there now we've only got 2 minutes uh no i'm going to i'm going to ask a different question where do you think we are now in this equity market and this gold, uh, precious metals market, Bob? Are we still in a bull market in gold and silver? And what about the equity markets? Yeah, on the gold and silver, the, uh, we're in a bull market for the real price of gold, which, as you know, reflects the profitability of gold mining. And that is the one of the main features of a post-bubble contraction, where the Real price goes up, and people start mining it, and people start discovering it, and that's a very much of a positive. But the problem with the gold stocks is they'll go up and down with the big market in New York, and the big market in New York is getting kind of uh, toppy. Uh, we're seeing um, a little change in the credit spreads that uh, would be uh, suggesting that some of the joy in that side of the party is diminishing. But at the moment, we're in a very favorable season for the stock markets. It could run for a few weeks yet, and that would help the gold markets. But if you want to look out, a, say, a year or so from now, we would expect that the general stock market would be very much lower and that the uh, gold shares, including the juniors, would be very much higher, uh, net of any swings, you know, that sort of stuff. It's going to be a volatile market. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. We are unfortunately out of time. So much more to uh, talk to you about. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and relating a wealth of information on, on global warming uh, and much more we would uh, would like to ask you about. Perhaps we'll have you back again sometime soon. Thank very, you, Bob Hoy. Folks, don't go day. away. We're going to be right back with Brent Cook after the uh, after the at the top of the hour Brent Cook will be back with us uh, will be with us I should say he is a geologist and he's going to have some uh, I think some good information for you in terms of how you should invest in the mining sector don't go away we'll be right back okay you there yeah. okay 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. In this climate of increasing global economic uncertainty, just one safe haven remains, precious metals. Led by a strong, proven management team, Prophecy Platinum is actively developing the Wellgreen Platinum Group Metals, Nickel, and Copper property. A large, easily accessible deposit in the Yukon with an estimated resource of 1 million ounces of PGM and gold indicated and a further 11 million ounces inferred. Large deposit, excellent infrastructure, impressive drill results, and increasing international demand. To learn more about Prophecy Platinum and the Wellgreen Project, visit prophecyplat.com. <laughs> 